0: The 301st shir of Rambam is um, just one mitzvah long. We're learning about Malva Valeva loans, the mitzvah of giving, the mitzvah of repaying loans. We talked about all kinds of mitzvahs, and yesterday, we said that you're not allowed to give a loan for the purpose of interest. You can't earn money off a loan. And that was speaking to what we would call the perpetrator, or the one who is the malva, the one who gives the loan and now we're going to talk about the Lova, which is Hebrew for the person who takes the loan mitzvah number 236 of the negative mitzvah so, the warning that the Torah gives also to the lovah to the person who is taking the loan he is forewarned from taking a loan with the intention of paying interest now the Rambam says this could not simply have been included in the prohibition of giving and taking loans as one mitzvah. It had to be two separate mitzvahs. The Torah has to address the one giving a loan in one mitzvah, and in a separate mitzvah, the Torah now addresses the person who is taking the loan for the purpose of interest. And the Rambam goes on to explain, L'fi, because, She'ilu lo'ivoh lav la leve, If the Torah would not specifically and explicitly have prohibited a person from taking a loan with interest, then one could have rationalized or come to the logical conclusion. The person who gave the loan, the person who profits and benefits, he's violating the Torah. The Torah says it's a mitzvah and you're not allowed to give the loan for any kind of payment or interest. He is violating. He's taking advantage of me. he's he's ripping me off. He's supposed to be nice to me. He's supposed to be my brother, my sister. He's supposed to be giving me a loan without making money off me. And he is, so I'm just a victim. How could leave it? the person who took the loan, why would he be guilty? He says, I'm just a victim. I'm just, a, I'm just a desperate guy who needs to get some liquidity so he can be able to carry on his business and I had nowhere else to go. Nobody would give me a loan for free and this fellow said, I'll give you a loan, but it's going to cost so What should I do? So I paid. In other words, the person taking the loan is not happy about this. He doesn't profit from this per se. Surely, without any question, he would vastly prefer to get a loan without paying. Who would say, no, I prefer to take a loan and pay for it. So in that case, how could he be a renovator? After all, Hurak hiskim lihiot All he did was agree to be raped, not literally, uh, figuratively. He agreed to be victimized. So you penalize him for agreeing to be to be penalized to to to, to be a victim? This is like an ina. When somebody overcharges, when somebody swindles, or misrepresents, and then we have what's called the sucker. He fell for it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cute little joke. It says, What's the difference to a and a shlomazel? They both mean kind of hapless. So, so the Yiddish uh, proverb goes like this the spills the soup. The shlomazel gets the soup spilled on him. Shlomazel is actually a conjunction of Shalomazel. He has no luck. He he had to be there when the soup fell. The guy's a shlomil. The guy's a shlump. The guy can't get his act together. But what the shlomazel says, what did I do? He says, I'm I'm just, you're sitting there. So in this case, there's no shlomil. There's nothing by accident. Somebody made a choice that he's going to go against the Torah for profit, which is a very serious prohibition. We talked about that in great detail. Now, the fellow who takes takes the money, he says, I'm just desperate. I just need this money. What do you want from me? The Torah comes along and says, no, you would think that's not the case. You would think that the person who agreed to be victimized, who agreed to be taken advantage of, is like the person who was swindled or lied to and was taken in hook, line and sinker. And, 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 and when it comes to the mitzvah of Einoah, as we learned in great detail with onat Mamon, taking advantage of it, so you're swindling or misrepresenting in business, the person who was fooled or hoodwinked is not guilty of anything wrong. He's just not so bright. Or wasn't on top of his game. The Torah says, therefore, here comes a special prohibition. And this prohibition applies... Equally, it equally addresses the person taking the loan and it says to him, You are not allowed to take a loan with the intention of paying interest for the use of that money. V'hu God says in his Torah, another Rambam is going to be quoting from Deuteronomy 23. The Pasuk over there, Pasuk Chof, says, you shall, not, you shall not take advantage or take usury from your brother, whether that is Neshech Kesef, Neshech Eichel, various expressions that the Torah uses to describe the mushrooming debt that a person is going to be paying for the use of somebody else's money the interpretation, the oral tradition of these words is which is not only you should not be the one who is charging interest you should not be the one who is giving the interest you shouldn't be the one who is allowing for this transaction to happen by agreeing to be the sucker, by agreeing to be the victim the person who is paying the Gemara says very clearly, and here the Ramam references Mesekhabsi on page seventy-five in the second side, that over it is written, Lover, the one who takes the loan, Over Mishum, sashich. He violates this prohibition of you shall not be usurious mishum The Ram adds another detail now. You also violate a second prohibition, which is And I I will first quote this. It's from Leviticus 19. We have all those fancy mitzvahs like loving your fellow and all those things you shouldn't do to other people. So the mitzvah over there says, a prohibition, you shouldn't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Now, what kind of creep would do that? Who would put a stumbling block? What kind of monster do you have to be? You see a blind person who's groping his way around and you put a stumbling block to trip him. So the Torah actually is not only speaking about that. If there's such a creep, he'd be included. But The Torah is speaking about something which is much less graphic. And, and we would permit ourselves to do things like this because we don't realize that it's metaphorically the same. Somebody is not too bright. Somebody doesn't have vision. He lacks clarity. He's like a blind person. It's a euphemism. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. And you are going to take advantage of him. So by taking advantage of him, that would be considered a sin. That's considered putting a stumbling block in front of somebody who's blinded. And this is not necessarily only a monetary issue. It talks, it's a ritual issue. It talks about observance of Torah. What happens if there's a Jew who doesn't have spiritual vision, he doesn't have clarity about life. He thinks he came to this world to play golf, to make money, to drive a fancy car, whatever else tickles his fancy or, or he finds pleasure or some kind of fulfillment of gratification of sensual libido. That's what he came to this world for. So he thinks. And that's the sum total of life. And he doesn't understand the value of a mitzvah. He doesn't understand the terrible loss of doing an Aveda and violating the word of Hashem. And you see this person and you take advantage of him. How do you? How so? You take advantage of it, instead of realizing that he is blind in this area, that he has no vision when it comes to Yiddishkeit. Instead, you tell the person, oh yeah, can I eat this? Sure you can eat it. It's not really? Yeah, you can eat whatever you want. You're not, re- you're not religious. You're not orthodox. Oh, then you can do this. Well, no, no, he can't. In fact, if you permit him or allow him to do it, then you'll be in some way participating in that sin. Maybe you heard there was a story a few years ago of a young man who refused to sell an airline ticket because he realized that the person on the other end of the line was Jewish. And he said, I can't do that to you. I can't sell you an airline ticket to fly on the Shabbat. He's not judgmental. He's not getting in somebody's ways. Way. I can't be party of that. You, you, you're blinded by, by by life and its busyness, and you don't understand that the value of keeping Shabbat by far, far outweighs the inconvenience of being laid over in Singapore or wherever it was. But he says, but nonetheless, I can't sell you that ticket. So the story goes in the end. He said, "Listen, you can go book a ticket yourself. I won't do it." Now, what happened is, and again, maybe you heard the story that this person decided in the end not to take the flight. He said, you know what, fine, I'll stay in Singapore. I think it was Singapore. You book the ticket instead. Now, that flight never, never made it. It disappeared. And it turned out that here we had uh, an observant Jew who was simply trying to fulfill his ritual obligation, his, his responsibility of not to put a, a stumbling block in front of somebody, and in the end, he saved this fellow's life. I'm not saying I, I know why bad things happen, and I can explain why airlines go down, chas shalom, chas six times over. I'm just saying. Just giving an example of something that was talked about It was in the media. That's an example of So how does that apply over here? Well, it applies very simply over here because if we have a Jew who doesn't appreciate the Torah he's blind in this area and for him it's all about the almighty dollar and he has an option now. His option is to give his money and to be able to receive interest as a result. So he says, oh great, I'm, I'm ready to do this and because you're ready to pay the interest that's why he's violating the sin. If he had no business if he had no customers he couldn't do it. So as a result, since you are facilitating at your own cost, with you willing to be the victim, there's no joy here. But nonetheless, the fact is, you still remain a facilitator. Because you're a facilitator, you violate this mitzvah. Commission of explained. Kishin asker, mitzvah, and we will talk about that mitzvah, which is the 299th mitzvah of the Torah. You know, I should share with you that this business of of um, loaning, taking loans for ribis or even, not only to charge interest, but even to give the interest, is something that our sages said, ma'aid, lihi bi ribis A person has to be very, very careful, exceedingly careful it's so easy to make the mistake, somebody does you a favor, says, you do me a favor, I'll pay you back, I'll do something back for you. And if it's financially fiduciary driven with cash, or even sometimes, sometimes, even when it's commodity driven, so you're going to loan a commodity and pay back more of the commodity, this could be a problem. And even if you're just giving the extra, I'm not even making it. Nonetheless, as we see, a person could be a person in doing so could end up violating two distinctly different mitzvahs. So the Yireim, when he writes about this mitzvah, he says, you have to be exceedingly careful because of the trouble you might end up into. This, the, the Smag and the Yireim say that it would even be a third negative prohibition. That there would be a, a, a third mitzvah of lachicha It says, we're going to learn later on. I think we'll learn about this tomorrow. We'll learn about that there's a mitzvah to take interest from a non Jew. We'll talk about what that means. So the Iraim and the Smag say, well, and then it says, from the Gentile, from the non Jew, you will take the interest, but for your brother, you won't. That that actually becomes a lav shlishi, a third negative prohibition. The Ramah does not seem to agree with this. He seems very clear to say there's only two prohibitions. But nonetheless, what is clear is that this is a, a very serious issue. And something that if we wish to live observant lives and try to keep Hashem's Torah, Mitzvah, the 236 Mitzvah, is something that we have to think about and be very careful as we go through life to make sure that we don't violate. Now, of course, here's the big question. How do the banks work in Israel? <laughs> all the banks are giving loans. They're all, they're all Jewish owned. How do you buy Israel bonds? How does all this work? Seemingly, it's a direct violation of the Torah and how is it possible that thousands, millions of observant Jews seem to ignore this prohibition altogether? So, the answer to this big burning question of how do observant Jews function in the banking world? How do do they do this? So, the answer, answer is we found a loophole. And loopholes are, loopholes are legal and sometimes unnecessary. If the country, the modern country of Israel didn't have a banking system, you would not be able to function in a modern economy. That's not a theory, that's a fact. So, for example, when we sell the chametz for Pesach, and in doing so, people who are Jewish and not only chametz that's not a joke. It's an extremely serious and very, very real procedure. Some would call it a loophole. Realistically speaking, it enables thousands or tens of thousands or maybe millions of Jews to keep Pesach properly who maybe some of those or many of those would not keep Pesach properly. And secondly, it saves people an enormous amount of money and it saves people an enormous amount of added difficulty. So, and especially in today's world of refederation and preser- preservation, it's, there's, there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with it. So there is a loophole here as well. The loophole is called a Heter Iska. A heter Iska means that you can actually create a document that structures this loan in a way that circumvents the prohibitions of usury. Now, you should just know that the Heter Iska is not nearly as simple as it sounds. Here's a quote from the Shalah. The Shalah says, and, and again, I'm quoting, There are many people who blunder about in darkness. Sha'isin shtar, iska? They create this Iska. Iska is Aramaic for business. They create a business agreement. So when it's a business agreement, it's not a loan. It's a business agreement. We're partners. The Shalah says when you don't understand how this document works, you aren't actually following the Halacha. And sometimes, sometimes the person taking the loan doesn't understand. And the entire loophole is one big mockery, he says. It's a joke. Ech alibam. How might they think? How might they entertain the notion? La is Are they fooling God? Who are you fooling here? You took a loan, you paid interest. You took a $100 loan and you ended up paying $130 on it. That's 30% interest. What are you, who are you telling stories to? Lafichach said, inshallah. It would be highly appropriate if everybody would actually understand what a heter iska is, how it functions, and how it's meaningful, and how it enables us to avoid being in direct contravention of these open mitzvahs of the Torah. To understand the origin and the source of it, Shleikoshel, Be Ribis, said, Do not stumble, God forbid, in this very serious prohibition, which is known as Ribis, interest usury. Now, the shalah goes on to say that if somebody does not understand how the Heter Isker works, but he does sign a document of a Heter Isker, he says, since he's actually signed on the document, and he's agreed to everything that is in the document, just like today when you agree to all those fancy documents, your lawyer says, sign here, and you say, what am I signing? Oh, if you really want to know, you have to trust your lawyer. You paid somebody who is proficient, who is experienced, who knows how to read the legalese, and you're trusting him that he's out for your best interest, so you sign it. But you understand that you're going to be bound to everything that it says there. You're downloading a new program, a new app, and it gives you a thing, agree. When you hit agree, that's recorded. person can't say, well, oh, I didn't realize it meant this. Maybe you didn't, but you're, you're still bound. So to hear, if a person signs on to something which is written by the sages, so that's it. You know, it's like with, with a marriage. Like I, I always actually try to explain to the Chatan of the Kalab before I marry them. I said, Look, let me explain to you what's going to happen over here. So you should understand who's giving what, who's saying what, who's receiving what, how that works. It's good that they should understand what they're doing. But, Minna Yisrael, and this is the custom, and this is we say, the Chastan's declaration is, Kedat Moshevi Yisrael. Which, according to the religion, according to the faith of the Jewish people, of Moses and Israel, on a simple level, that means, even if I don't understand this, even if I'm not clear, even if it seems like a confusion to me, even if I'm not taking it seriously, I'm doing this, I'm doing this in the way the Torah ordains it to be done, and therefore it's meaningful. So, to be sure, a person who does take a loan and uses a Heter isker, meaning everybody using the banking system in Israel, buying Israel bonds, is not violating this mitzvah. However, it's a good idea... And the Bishallah seems to very strongly encourage and urge people who are using a heter iska to have an understanding, at least a basic rudimentary understanding, of what a heter iska is and how a heter iska works. And even though this is not a class about iska, not a class per se about learning the, the loophole of how we're able to conduct banking today or give somebody a loan, or do business as they say, nonetheless, I thought it was appropriate for me to try to share just the basic principles. Just the bare minimum, so you understand how it is that observant Jews are not living in violation of Mitzvah 236 every day of their life. So, as I said, iska means a business. And that means, if I were to give somebody a certain amount of money, and I say to them, look, I'm a very busy man. I don't have any extra time in my schedule. i got money sitting around. I'd like my money to work for me. I know that money doesn't work by itself. I can put it into the bank, and the GC, and get like a you know, a lousy return. Or, I'm going to go into business with you. But you have no capital. Yes, but you've got sneakers. So, I'm going to give you the money, you're going to do the work, and I'm going to be able to benefit from the hard work that you do because I'm, I'm providing the capital to be able to make this work. Now, that's not exactly a loan. A loan, when I give a loan, I give, you a, I give you a loan. You want to use my money? Pay for my money. Here, I said, hey, you want to go into business with me? Here's what I bring to the table. Here's what you bring to the table. I bring capital of funding. You bring hard work and business acumen. Together, we hope to have Hashem's, Hashem's bracha. The problem, of course, is that if I get my money back regardless, and not only get my money back regardless, I get my money back with my additional payments, regardless, then what we have here, essentially, is a scam. Because I was never really in business. Why? You, you tell me why. Because in business, there's always a risk factor. If there's no risk factor, it's not business. That's interest. If there's no risk factor whatsoever, if I don't make an investment in every business, there has to be some kind of investment that's made. Sometimes investments come back and they pay. Sometimes they don't. Nobody can be certain. Everybody diversifies today. Why? Because we know with fair certainty, statistics will tell us that some investments will go sour. There will be days in business we lose and days we make. Well, if we have a, 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 diver, a diverse portfolio. Hopefully, there will be more makers than losers. And then you have to have Maslin, Hashem's Baruch. But if this guy says, I'm going to business with you, but you have to pay me back all the money, and you have to give me back exactly uh, 30% of what I gave you, regardless of what happens, is you ever really in business? No, the answer is, okay, so how do we make this have to risk work? So the answer goes something like this. Half the money is a loan for you. We're going into business together. So I'm giving you, let's say, $1,000. So $500, that's yours. You're going to buy some merchandise, and you're going to try to turn it around. $500, I did, you, I did you a favor. I loaned you this $500. Now, but you're working for me. That's why I actually have to even pay you. I have to give you, pay you a nominal fee for the fact that you're working for me, for the little bit of profit I might make off that 500. I actually have to pay something. That's how the Hete Yizka has to be structured, regardless that you I'm paying you to work with my money. I could, I could do that to somebody. A, a, any corporation is filled with people who are paid to work with somebody else's money. And they don't get the big profit, but they get paid. So you have to pay them something. The other half is actually not a loan, but a picadon. A picadon means I gave you something for safekeeping. So I didn't give you the second half of the money as a loan. It was never really yours with an obligation to pay back. You are holding on to my money. You're actually holding on to my money. Now the problem, of course, is that in a Picardone, if something goes wrong, I have to pay back all the money. So factually speaking, if I have to pay back my loan and I have to pay back the money, in the end, we still have a situation of a Heter So it gets even more complicated. We structure the Heter like this. He said, the half that I gave you as a loan that's, that, I have to get my money back. And I'm even paying you to do something. The other half of the money, I gave you $1,000, right? So the other $500 is you're actually going to be making money from me. But if you're, if you're making money from me, it has to be a risk factor. So we say, the only way that you're going to be exempt from paying me back that money is if you bring two kosher witnesses that you did everything possible and you with no negligence involved, because we know when, it is a, when you're a, a watch person, which we learned actually a few weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago, learned about a watch person, different levels of responsibility, gets a paid Shomer or a free Shomer. If you're going to be a Shomer, you're going to be a watch person, you have an obligation to make indemnification unless there's going to be extenuating circumstances. So we say, unless you can prove that there was extenuating circumstances, which the Torah, by the way, does not require this proof, but you can make a deal. He says, I agree to the condition. Impossible conditions. Conditions that there have to be kosher witnesses Witnesses who are observant and pious and therefore trustworthy and they have to observe everything you do from A to Z to know that you will discharge your responsibility honorably and with full integrity. And in that case, then you'll swear. And if you swear and you have a kosher of witnesses, then you're exempt from paying back. Now the person, of course, when it comes to a shomer, a gotch person, has the option to say, that's, that's impossible. I don't want to make a shomer. I don't want to swear. I can't find these kosher witnesses. I, I can't live with those conditions. I'd rather pay. And that, my dear friends, is a snippet, tip of the iceberg, of how the Hete Isco works. So we have to divide the money, and this is practical, this is how we do it today. We say the, the money that's given is divided. Part of it is given as a loan, structured as a loan, which is not which does not bring back any kind of interest. You can pay interest on the loan. The $500, the, the half of the loan is yours to do as you please with. You just have to give it back that $500. And that's not a question. The money that the person who gave the loan is making is from the second half of the money. And that's being done because the second half of the money was not given as a loan but rather as a deposit for safekeeping. If it's a positive for safekeeping, why does he have to pay back? There's a risk factor over here, maybe he could lose. Oh, But because we made such conditions, and he agreed to conditions that he is likely not going to ever be fulfilling, in fact, we, we make it safe to begin with. I'm never going to be able to fulfill these conditions. That's fine, but the condition is a condition. In theory, were you to fulfill these conditions, you'd be exempt. Then, in that case, he is able to pay back the second $500, and the second $500 comes with a return. The return is the return of business. Now, here gets even more interesting. But since the first half of the money he's working with a whole thousand dollars, not only with half of it, therefore, as I said, there has to be some money which is paid to the individual who's doing that work, and only when he's being paid to work with half the money, half the sum. And the other half the sum is the safekeeping. And the only reason he gets back that full money with the return is because he has to give this kind of oath in which he says that everything is going to be held against me and I'll be responsible unless various conditions, A, B, C, D, a whole bunch of conditions which are almost impossible criteria which can't be met, then in that case you have to pay back the loan. So this is the basic bare bones. It's much more complicated and sophisticated than this, but this is the basic bare bones of how Heta Iska works. So when it comes back, when, you, when you're giving the return of the money, it's not on, it's not for the part of the money that you gave the loan for, it's because of you don't want to meet the criteria and conditions for the second half of the sum, the second half of the money which was given to you, for which you have to make all these conditions in order to exempt yourself from any kind of issue. And because the person says, you probably multiplied the the original capital and now you lost everything, so in that case, you have to pay all the things that you obligated yourself to. However, just to be noted, that the person taking the loan does have to receive some kind of reprieve or some kind of uh, release, getting paid actually to be working with the first half of the money, so it shouldn't be a, a situation where somebody is actually uh, working with somebody's money as a loan and then later paying interest for it. <sighs> I hope that makes some sense to most of you and that's just the bare bones of how heteriska works and how we are able to do business today in Israel, and for that matter, people do business sometimes give loans for to be able to to take some money back. There may be those who don 't want to use a Hetterica no problem you know, nobody 's nobody's forced, nobody must do it. If you want to live in Israel, you want to buy a house is where are you going to get a loan from? The banks are Jewish banks, so then we would use the heterisca, and as I said, at least if you 're going to ever have an Israeli bank account now, at least you understand the bare bones of how this works. If you have some Israeli bonds, you understand the, the bare minimum um, a gestalt, or structure of how this agreement is effective and ensures that we shouldn't end up violating Chas v'Sholom, Hakadosh Baruch Almighty God's Torah. And that's all we're going to learn for the three hundred and first shir of Rambam. With God's help, tomorrow we're going to be learning about the concept of getting involved, being a middle person in arranging a loan. You didn't, you didn't pay the interest. You're not getting the interest. You're just a facilitator. But as mentioned, facilitation can sometimes be problematic. So stay tuned. And that, Bezrat Hashem, we'll learn in tomorrow's mitzvah.